This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. Here on the Theology Corner Podcast Network, I am Stephen Bradford Long. So today we actually have a bit of a different show in that this isn't actually a Sacred Tension show. I got a bit behind on my work this week. I've been recording like a madman. I have some absolutely unbelievable interviews for you coming up over the next two months plus. Just some incredible guests have agreed to come onto the show from a wide variety of perspectives and traditions and religions, and I cannot wait to share these shows with you. However, I did get a bit behind, and so scrambling to find something to release this week, I asked Matt, my friend, a regular co-host on this show, and he is the host of the 11D Life podcast. I asked him if I could repost an interview I did for his show. Now, in this interview, I talk about something that I never talk about, and that is the shooting that I survived when I was 19 years old. Davey and Matt uh, on their podcast brought me on. They really wanted to talk about it. And because they're good friends and I trust them and we were having a good time, I, I was willing to talk about that incredibly traumatizing event in my life. But I don't really see myself talking about it again, at least not anytime soon. You know, I think that podcast episode for Eleventy Life, that might be the only time in the near future that I'm going to ever discuss it. Because of that, I wanted to share it with you. It's uh, it's an incredibly vulnerable story. And I think I this is the most vulnerable I've ever been on air uh, in this conversation with Matt and Davey. And if you've been through something like this, if you've been through some kind of trauma or act of violence or a shooting, uh, or if you know someone who has been, please let me know. If, if you have any thoughts, comments, please send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you about it. And by the way, Matt is just an extraordinary musician and artist and podcaster. Please stop what you're doing right now and go subscribe to his show, Eleventy Life. It's a show about being a musician, being a craftsman, living the creative life as a beleaguered millennial. He is a successful musician, front man of Eleventy Seven, and he's just an extraordinary human being. And I'm really grateful to him and Davey for drawing this story out of me because I don't know if I would have told it otherwise. So with that, I give you my interview with Eleventy Life. Hey, what's up, Eleventy Lifers? Thank you so much for joining us this week on Eleventy Life. Hey, just a quick heads up before we start this episode. It contains some graphic conversation about school shootings and violence. So fair warning to any of our listeners who may be triggered or may feel extra sensitive to this type of conversation. This episode may not be for everyone, but if you're interested in a firsthand account of what the inner workings of a school shooting look like from the perspective of one of the victims, then I invite you to please stay tuned because this is hands down one of the most interesting conversations that we've had uh, this season of 11D Life, and we are excited to bring it to you. So without further ado, thanks for being here and buckle up. Do I, do I need a pop filter, by the way? I mean, shit, Hartnett's beautiful. You have the worst handwriting of all time. I'm already getting tipsy, so we need to get this going. <laughs> oh, that means it's just getting good. Why does it have wheels if you can't move it? Are you done? Welcome 
to the Eleventy Life podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Eleventy Life. I am so glad that you are here. <laughs> There's a million different places that you could be right now, but you decided to be uh, well, actually, with us they, in the podcast. Well, they're probably in some of those million different places because this is in their headphones right now. We're oh, with them. True. That's true. We are, we are in one of those million different places. If you're listening to 11D Life right now and you're walking around a mall, just, uh, just pause. Pause where you are right now and just give someone a sexy look. I Matt. can narrate it. <laughs> yeah. Give someone a sexy Matt, Matt look. just gave me a sexy look. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. And I need to leave the room. <laughs> That's what I do sometimes. People think I'm doing that, but I'm really just staring and thinking about things in my own mind. That sounds even creepier when I say that. Um, it did. Well, we have a friend I'm of ours a weird, here. I'm a weird person. Hey, this episode, I have a very special friend I would love to introduce you to. His name is Stephen Long. Whoa! Why, hello. And, yeah. <laughs> And Steven also has a podcast called Sacred Tension, which I have guest appeared on several times. Mm -hmm. And it seems like every time I come on your show, we end up doing like four episodes yes, at we a do. time because um, we just have so much fun gabbing. Just gabbing like <laughs> just gals. gabbing uh, or whatever we do uh, on the show. So yeah, Steven, welcome to our podcast finally. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. At least I don't have to edit it. That's all that matters to me. <laughs> It's true. Matt, Matt toils away at editing these podcasts because there's a lot of like me sniffling. There's there's so many sniffles. There's there's so many times people just breathe for inordinately <laughs> inordinately long amounts of time. Also, full disclosure, I'm mega sick right now. So if I sound like a nasally asshole, that's part of, <laughs> that's part for the course. I don't think However, I've ever recorded a nasally asshole before, Davey. <laughs> <laughs> we can create the nasally there's asshole first, sample pack. the first time for everything. That will sell. And here we are. Hey, Steven. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> okay, let's get into talking to Steven because I'm finished. Steven, I, I actually just think that you're a really interesting person. We have like five or six different things that we're planning on talking about this episode. But as many 11 Day Life episodes go, for those of you who, who listen to the show a lot, we don't know where it's going to go. But I would like for you to tell every our, our listeners a little bit more about your podcast, Sacred Tension, and what was the impetus for the sure. yeah well so sacred tension is about faith and doubt and sexuality and pretty much anything that i find interesting from an lgbt perspective and so it approaches a lot of questions about religion and science and so on and because i'm fabulously gay that tends to to seep into it a lot. It doesn't hurt the ratings. <laughs> so, I mean, I, it definitely doesn't hurt the ratings. <laughs> is there is there like a you said because you're fabulously gay? Is there is there an alternative? Is there, to a, is there like a boringly gay? A dour gay? Are, are, <laughs> <laughs> See, I feel like I there's a whole a in, there's a whole index of terms that I, I just don't know yet. <laughs> index of terms. I just made that one up. <laughs> An index of terms. Sorry. <clears throat> well, if you if you need some gay lingo, I can help you out on that. Thank you, Stephen. I'm what you call a bear. I'm a bear cub. What makes mm -hmm. you a bear cub? Because I'm I'm hefty and I'm chunky and I'm hairy. Okay, so why aren't <laughs> yeah. you a full full grown bear? Well, cub is is normally like late twenties, early thirties. Oh, like a full grown bear is like forty. Yeah. Now you would be an otter. Otter is skinny but hairy. <laughs> Okay. Wait, this sounds more like uh, this sounds more is, like what? animorphs uh, or is or otter, furry, a, real, is otter a real term? The otter is a real term. Oh, you know what? I've <clears> taken <throat> a bunch of those. Like, which animal would you be on Facebook? The uh -huh. quizzes. I'm an otter every time. Well, excellent. It's meant really? to be. Yeah. It's like I like to lay on my back and play with things. I don't. I don't know what I. Mean. <laughs> I you like to lay on your back and play with things. That's uh, this is going real. <laughs> 
Really new window. Uh, yeah. I have a feeling we're going to end up with that tiny little red E on this one. We uh, might. I have that effect on people. <laughs> yeah. So Stephen, the few times I've been on your podcast, we just have a ton of fun time sort of unloading our past experiences with uh, spirituality and religion. I know that you and I both kind of come from very strict religious backgrounds. And so that's something that we obviously talk about a ton on the episode because it it has informed so much of who we are as adults. And we're still kind of like sifting through the quagmire of those sorts of religious experiences. In light of all of the different school shootings that we've been seeing covered by the media recently, you are the only person I know in my life who's actually survived mm. a school shooting. And this was back like in 2007. Yes. And you were one of five. I was one of five in the hallway. Yeah. One of five in the hallway. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Like what was, what led up, where where were you at the time? Well, okay. So I was in youth with a mission. I was 19 years old and it was a really difficult time of my life. And to kind of set up that time of my life, I was also ex-gay, meaning I was trying to, to deconvert from gay. <laughs> so were you going through gay conversion therapy? Uh, I wasn't. <clears throat> well, I was going through more the spiritual track. So I wasn't necessarily going through the counseling, uh, like psychological counseling, but right. I was going through the prayer ministry and all that stuff. Right. So how old and were you? I was 19. And, and this was at the point when I was realizing that I couldn't change. I was realizing that this was a part of me that wasn't going to go away. And that just left me with absolute despair because Christianity was my life. And, and so it left me in this place of complete despair and depression. And that's where I was when the shooting happened. And so I, I already felt like my life was kind of, was kind of falling apart. Yeah. And I was at the Denver base in our, the Denver YWAM base. I was doing what was called a school of worship. And so for everyone who doesn't know what YWAM is, it's an acronym for youth with a mission. Youth with a mission. It is one of the largest missions organizations in the world. And And it's a little culty. It's a little culty. I've done some episodes (laughs) about, I, I did an episode with that, about that with a cult expert. I've written a lot about my experience in YWAM. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, it was, a, it was already a hard time. And then it was December 8th. Yeah. It was actually 10 years ago, last December. Wow. So that day, December 8th, I was getting a tattoo, this one right here on my arm, the sacrifice yeah. tattoo. Then that night, there was a big Christmas celebration yeah. where missionaries from all over the world came to the base and we had a big meal together and there was music and all kinds of stuff. Paddling around. <clears throat> exactly. <laughs> and then my my school, which was about 11 of us, they all went off bowling. Yeah. And then I stayed home. I, I stayed at the base. Now, the base is huge. The base had about 150 students. Wow. Uh, and we were just one school there. This is like a campus kind of base? It's or? a campus. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, in, in Arvada, which incidentally is the town right next to Aurora, which is where the Batman shooting yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. So all kinds of weird shit happens in that area. So I was getting ready for bed. My dorm room 
was right on the main hallway. Yeah. So I'm in and out of my I'm in and out of my door room, dorm room. I can't talk. The alcohol is already taking effect. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> you were drinking at the YWAM base? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what, that's what he meant. Yeah. No. Actually, spoiler, it was me. I was the one who shot all of them. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> That poor guy sitting in jail. Wow. I've never, <laughs> never had anyone joke about being the active shooter. Actually, speaking of which, no, people, I've just started rolling with it because for years now, people, at, you know, there are times when it comes up in conversation with friends or yeah, acquaintances. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I was in a shooting and they look at me like, were you the gunman? And I'm like, no, no, I'm yeah. not the gunman. What the fuck? Yeah. I said I was in a shooting, not I did a shooting. Exactly. Not I did time for shooting not people. Exactly. Yeah. If I was in it, I would still be in prison. Like, what the hell? No. Okay. So people have actually asked me if I was the, is there something about me that makes me seem particularly malicious? really satisfying well, for humans about asking ignorant well, questions. No, it's just con- it's conservatives who already don't understand you. <laughs> You're like, he must be killing people too. Good point. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, so Christmas party, Christmas party, I, I'm in and out of my room and there's this guy hanging out in the main hallway and he has a dark jacket on and he's talking on his cell phone. He has glasses and I just think that he's another missionary. And, and so I don't think anything of it. I'm in and out of my room. I go out of my room again and my really great friend, Tiffany who is the hospitality hostess, hospitality person right. on staff, is talking to him. And I overhear her saying, no, you can't stay here overnight. It's it's against our policy. You need to leave. And so I'm listening to this conversation. The fourth time that I she's having with this, that creeper, she's having guy, with this creeper guy. And, and as I'm getting ready for bed, I notice that there are more and more staff people. There are three, uh, four other staff people in the hallway. Yeah. And <clears throat> it was about the, the fourth or fifth time that I go out into the hallway is when he opens fire. He he opened fire on us. Just everyone in the hallway. Just everyone in the hallway. And did you hear it from your room, or were you in the I hallway was in, when he started? I was in the hallway. So he's so the the last thing you saw of him was that he was talking with yeah the last your, the thing hospitality I saw. girl and then and then boom and then he's firing and it's. It's really hard to describe that moment. I mean, that's a moment that I, you know, I could be on my deathbed with dementia and I will still remember that moment. Um, Everything slowed down. I went into this animal-like survival mode. It's like all higher thinking just, just shut down. Yeah. And I quickly got behind my door and quickly got into my room. Yeah. I, I'm standing with my back against the door, just saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like it, I mean, this was a regular night that, you know, imagine this was my home. Imagine, you know, just being at college, being in your dorm room or, you know, the most chill, not out of the ordinary night at all. Yeah. And then this happens. And that moment was absolutely terrifying because I, there, it, there wasn't a lock on the door. Did you know, did you know this guy? No. I had no idea who he was. Okay, because he 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 ends up being Matthew Murray. He ends up being Matthew Murray. And yep. we can get to his story a bit later. But there there wasn't a lock on the door. And I was certain that he was going to come in and Because kill me. do you think he saw you? I'm sure he saw me. I'm certain he saw me. But or at least that's what I thought. He Were might you not thinking have. of ways to barricade 
Yes. Well, the door. I was also I was thinking of ways to barricade the door. The first thing I did was I ran to the window trying to jump out the window. Yeah. And it was like a 20 foot drop and I just couldn't do it. So I so yeah. real quick before you got into your room and I've never talked to somebody who's been through such a thing. So if I ask a weird question, you don't need to me. worry about it. Um, <laughs> you can ask me as many weird questions. Did you as see you anybody want. get hit? Um, <clears throat> I don't remember. People did get hit. And when I went back out into the hallway a few minutes later, that's when I saw all the carnage. So, so you're in the hallway. He opens fire. You go into animal mode. I go into animal mode. I head get in, into your room. I head into my room. I, <clears throat> I'm like, okay, what if he comes in after me? I know I can't go out the window. I break my legs. I, I'm like, okay. Um, what floor are you on? I'm, I'm on the first floor, but there's this weird drop. You know, there, there's, yeah. there's a hill and there's this weird drop. Yeah. And it's concrete below. And it's not safe to drop out the it's window. It's not safe to drop out the window. And so I'm like, what can I hit him with if he comes in after me? And I pick up, I look at an electric guitar that one of my roommates has. And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to Joe Strummer in right now. <laughs> um, and so all I do is I get into the bathroom, get behind the door and just pray. And, you know, the, the terror that I felt at that moment was just pure animal overwhelming terror i what, thought what kind I thought of things I was going to die. what kind of things do you pray out of pure animal terror uh, god protect me god protect me god protect me god protect me that's that's all i could like jesus protect me jesus protect me jesus protect me that that was it which and, is so weird because and i'm i'm only going to be indelicate here because we're friends yeah and, absolutely and you can handle it yeah for sure having just seen an active shooter open fire on people and knowing that there are people who were harmed. Yes. Heading into a closet and like praying. For my protection. For your protection. Instead of theirs. When clearly. Other people this, are dying. This was some. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like there are people dying all around well, you. That has to feel like such a weird thing to come back to it, later. It is. And and survivor's guilt is real. Mm. You know. The, and <clears throat> so, you know, I call my roommates and I say, don't come back. They were the first ones I I thought of. I yeah. said, call. So, I, so how much time has <clears throat> passed? Seconds. Oh, so you called them instantly. I Well, I would say maybe about a minute. But the first thing I think is to call Did you still, my roommates. Were, were there still uh, shots going off? No. Okay. No. At that point, it had died down. So I, I call my roommates. I say, someone has come to the base and started shooting up the place. Go find someplace safe and don't come back. And so- right. They don't come back. What I don't know at the time, and they they come up to me when I see them again a few days later, the the school of worship comes up to me weeping, saying, we were pull our van was pulling into the parking lot right in front of the door when Matthew Murray was there. And if we had come out, he probably would have killed us. Is Matthew Murray someone who was known by a bunch of people on the base or he is was, he just a straggler that kind of comes in and decides he was to... known by the leadership because he had been a ywammer four years earlier and he had been through that so he base. went through the ywam he went program. through the ywam pro program and was apparently kicked out i don't know the full story there yeah i don't know the full story there so he's like an alumni he's an alumni of the ywam kind of, program or or, an, or an outcast of the program and so then I don't hear any more shooting. I start to hear something else. It sounds like a dog wailing. And, you know, a lot of it, we don't really know what wailing sounds like. It just 
grief stricken yeah. wailing and it yeah. sounded like a dog crying right and it was a guy who just come onto the scene who just who just found his friend and so oh that's when I knew that he was gone. That's when I knew that Matthew Murray was gone. And rem- I mean, remember, I did not know who this guy was. No one knew, knew who this guy was. And that's when I went back out into the hallway. And my friend Tiffany was at the very front of the hallway, crumpled in a pile of blood, spreading blood. Was she okay? No, she died. She ended up dying. Um, her oh boyfriend, Dan, was shot through the throat. A guy who, who at the time of the shooting was behind me and to my right named Phil was behind me he he was behind me and to my right and he died too and he was shot in the stomach and i remember looking down and he was staring up at the ceiling completely white and unrecognizable and just a look of pure abject terror in his face absolute terror and when one of his friends came by his side and was holding his hand he was saying am i going to die am yeah. i going to die am yeah. i going to die and i kind of take all this in just passively you know, I, I Charlie, uh, another staffer who was shot, had was shot in both legs, and was Charlie some, Blanche, yeah, was yeah. somehow making it all the way down the hallway to the community phone, shot in both legs to call the police. I mean, and so I am the the smell of gun smoke, the blood. There's blood on the walls. There's um, the walls are have. It sounds like like very surreal and visceral. It, and It is so surreal and so hellish. And I took it in so passively. You know, I the horror of it didn't strike me because... It's too much at one time. It's too much at one time. And then I go th- running through the base to see if everyone's safe. Yeah. I was just running through the base, making sure everyone was fine. I go downstairs, find the girls down there in their um, dorm room. I go upstairs. And... And as I'm coming back upstairs, I'm calling Andrew, letting him know that I'm okay. Yeah. They've, they've let, and I know I'm, I, okay, here's the other thing is, is memory is so malleable. Mm-hmm. And I know that every single time I retell this story, it shifts yeah. a bit. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. That's just the way memory is. And so I know I'm getting some details wrong, but I, but as so Andrew called me as I'm coming up the stairs. I'm, tell, tell, I'm, I'm telling him everything is okay. I'm fine. And they're letting me know they're fine. They're at one of the director's house. As I'm going through the dining room, there's this huge bang. And I hung up. And Andrew, for the rest of the night, he told me later, thought that I was just dead. He thought that I had been shot. Oh, my gosh. And so he heard the bang and thought I was killed. And this is all stuff that I learned later. Yeah. You know, this is all yeah, stuff, yeah. you know, when I'm piecing together what was going on. Right. And then... So there was this huge bang and that was the SWAT team bursting in through the doors. And the next thing I know, I'm staring down several more guns pointing at me and they're yelling, put your hands in the air, get down on the ground. And I'm frisked and I'm on the ground with guns pointing at me for a good portion of the rest of the evening. And then just, you know, the rest of the night is just this horrifying blur of the police clearing the building and... We're all shuttled to the police station. We all camp out in the town hall. And then, and I'm questioned for the rest of the night since I was right there on the scene. There were a few other people like right there in adjacent rooms. I was the only one who was in the hallway and I was the only one who wasn't shot. Um, Oh my gosh. And then by the end of the evening, by the end of the evening, Tiffany is dead and Phil is dead. Right. And I have an uncle in the area and- 
in Boulder and he comes and picks me up that morning. At this point, we we didn't know what was going on. <clears throat> and so I'm I'm terrified. I st- I'm still in survival mode and the terror is sweeping over me. Yeah. And I am convinced because this is the way trauma works. I'm convinced that I'm not going to make it. I'm convinced that I'm still not safe. Right. For whatever reason. And then the next that morning, my aunt and uncle turn on the news and Colorado Springs, New Life Church, Ted Haggard's church is being shot up. And we didn't know if it was the same guy or not. It turned out to be the same guy. Yeah. And he he was either shot or shot himself. Right. I don't know all the details on that. It's kind of mysterious how he died. Either Gene Assam shot him, or who is the security guard with the concealed carry, or um, he killed himself. I'm not sure. I'm, I think I'm getting her name wrong. Can who the the security guard Jean Assam? I talk. I've talked to her some in the years since, but Mrs. Assam. Yeah. She <clears throat> uh, she was she was the security guard at New Life. So he he opened fired onto the congregation as they came out. Oh my god. And then yeah. So he killed two at the YWAM base. He killed two at New Life, and then. You know, the rest of the week was bliss at not being killed. Gene. Gene. Gene Assam. Gene Assam. Okay. Yep. Sorry. I'm looking um, that up for you. Thank you. Um, bliss at not being killed. Enormous relief. Absolute terror. Convinced. And then here's the thing is that that Tuesday night, I was staying with a bunch of other YWAMers. I was staying with my school. That's when they told me. Where did they move you to? We moved to Off campus? A, we moved or? off campus to our director's house. Okay. And so... That, you know, they told me that they were in the driveway. Okay, so here's what happened. To kind of backtrack, here's what happened. Matt, as far as I know, what I yeah. understand, and here's the thing with these shootings, is it's it's really hard to get a grasp of exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he fired nine rounds. He apparently, from what I understood, was going to try to stay the night and just kill all of us in the middle of the night. That was his original plan. But because Tiffany wouldn't let him in, he decided to open fire right there. And he shot nine rounds. And then after he was done, he backed, he was in the doorway. He backed up and the door closed and locked in front of him. And he couldn't get back in. And that was it. And then he fled. And and he fled for, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what happened. He fled to Colorado Springs. I'm not entirely sure of everything that happened because, you know, Part of the healing process is just not thinking about it, (laughs) you know, but someday I do want to go back and learn more about Matthew Murray. Well, the interesting thing about Matthew Murray is that his dad is apparently a a neurologist Mm. Um, and he has a brother and was homeschooled and lived in a very deeply religious household. Focus on the family kind of family. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean that because I, I remember listening to all, all of that stuff coming out of Colorado. Um, when I was a kid, my parents, my parents loved consuming that kind of stuff. I remember like yeah, driving mine, in the car around too. at a very young age, and it was like anything focused on the family did, radio-wise, was yeah. like, oh my gosh. 
And we're obviously not saying that focus on the family is the reason he committed a mass murder. No, that's uh, that, no, to I don't be think clear, that's yeah. not yeah. what we're saying. Nobody's saying that. Um, as evil as I think focus on the family can be, <laughs> yeah. that's not what I'm saying. I did listen to my fair share of Adventures and Odyssey growing up. Of course, up, I did too. Which our friend Kevin McCreary went to work for and then yes. and then got fired from. <laughs> oh, he got fired? I didn't know that. <laughs> he he has a pretty a pretty funny story about this stuff. Anyway, my whole point in in all of that was for better or for worse, Matthew Murray, though he is not alive now, um, he did come from a, a super religious yes, household. He did. And it always makes you, it kind of makes you like ask the question, like, you know, all of us in this room at some point have gone through a repositioning of our faith. We're still going through it. But I know that we've all had really formative moments where we just kind of woke up and we were like, look, either way you slice it. A lot of what we were told about religion or about God or about how we should live our lives has been based on something untrue or has been falsified in some way. Yes. Or is or is just simply like incorrect or is just based on nothing but an assumption or magical thinking like you and I talk about all the time. Um, and and a lot of people go through those kinds of moments as teenagers where the and that's I, I think that's kind of where a lot of the angst comes from is like you're developing uh, your your cognitive abilities and your reasoning and thinking skills and like ultimately you have to decide to think for yourself and that's where a lot of those thoughts and ideas come from it makes me wonder if it's I don't know if that kind of thing is more damaging than we realize that it is um yes like that sort of lifestyle that's well, sort well, of, okay. I also think it's sort of a it's a jump to like I can see where this conversation is going and it's sort of a a jump for us to sit here and and say we know why this, or we can insinuate that, that one of the reasons this guy snapped. Well, that's why it's phrased as a question because I want to. I'd like to know what everybody me, thinks about. All it. I can do is all I can say is this: is I I feel like I have a baseline for how painful things are since I have lived with PTSD, and and so I feel like I have a pretty good baseline for psychological pain because mm-hmm. this event pretty much destroyed my life. And for about four years, I, I had to kind of rebuild yeah. completely. And, you know, you kind of met me when I was just started, you know, we, we were sitting next to each other in biology class, yep. <laughs> in, in Mrs. Ray's class, biology <laughs> class. Uh, and that's when we first met. Yeah. By that point, I feel like I was starting to be okay. But... For about three or four years, it just completely destroyed me. And can you talk a little bit about that? Like, wh- what do you mean yeah. by destroyed you? Like, like what was your day to day like during this? Sure. Well, well, let me finish my my thought first. Is I I feel like I have a pretty good litmus test of what psychic pain feels like. Yeah, I can say that the the deconstruction of my faith hurt as much, if not more. The going through conversion therapy hurt as much, right. if not more. And so... Gay conversion therapy? Gay conversion therapy. Hurt as much, if not more, than as so, PTSD. So, so you're comparing gay conversion therapy and sort of a um, and a spiritual reforming or redirectioning as, as being on par pain-wise for me it with was. trauma. Yeah, for me it was. It, for okay. me it was as painful. And, you know, of course the symptoms were different and, you know, we can get into that. The, sure. You know, kind of my daily life, um, I was terrified of strangers. Yeah. I was terrified of loud noises. I had the most horrific nightmares. 
Yeah. It got to the point where I was just afraid to sleep. Yeah. Because my nightmares were so horrific. Um, I also just didn't get adequate treatment. And that's one thing that I realized looking back was I should not have gone to college. I mean, I I was in a shooting. I had a few months to recover and then my parents just sent me to college. Well, that's interesting Eight that you bring later. that up because one of the things I wanted to ask you was what's the one thing that everybody should like in, in light of, you know, like all of the recent school yeah. shootings that have happened. What's the thing that nobody's talking about that you as a school shooting survivor is saying like, why, why is nobody addressing this? Like, like the kids that have been through this actually need yeah. this, not necessarily like publicity. And so this, so I'm going to answer that question and I want to answer a more broad question, yeah. which is kind of how can we make heads or tails of shootings in general? Sure. And my answer to that is, and this is something that I wish more people would do is say, I have no fucking clue. Yeah. And when you're in a shooting, you kind of get a glimpse of what most people don't understand, mm. which is that this is huge. This is, you can't see the mountain when you're standing on the mountain. Yeah. This is something so big and I don't know why it's happening. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm this is kind of tangential, but I'm reading a book called Dreamland, which is about the opioid epidemic. And what it shows is that the op opioid epidemic is drawn from these factors all around the world. Yeah. Over decades. Mm -hmm. And it will take a very, very serious journalist. It will take a very, very serious person mm -hmm. who's long suffering and focused, a group of people yeah. to figure out why these shootings are happening, but no one has the patience and no one has the time. Right. I will say gun control is a must. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. That doesn't mean absolute gun control. That doesn't mean gun, all guns need to be taken away. That's not what I'm saying at all. But greater gun restrictions are a must, period. That's my opinion. People are welcome to disagree with sure. me on that. Um, but that is not, that, that is, I will think, I do think that that would fix a lot. But as to why this is happening, that is a mystery to me. Mm. What I can say also... Wait, so so actually, I, I want you to hang out there for just one yeah, second. Yeah, for sure. Are you, are you saying that maybe it's healthy to just take guns out of the equation and just say, what if, what if this had happened and guns weren't involved? What's that? Like, what is happening in that person's mind? What's happening culturally? What is the stew that's, that's yeah, forming it, right now that I, creates well, people like that? I think that, it's or? impossible to take guns out of the equation. Okay. You know, I think it's impossible. Now... Before I say anything, I, I have kind of deliberately not thought deeply about this. And so people are, I welcome people's criticism because yeah. I see this as kind of more of a dialogue. And, you know, if, if people have responses to this, then I welcome them. Um, I don't think we can take guns out of the equation because the difference between a knife fight and a gun is the the amount of people it can kill within a single minute it's exponential so you're talking about you're talking about like the greater access opportunity and and then just there there are also and and the, i feel like kind of the other thing i'm trying to get at is guns play a big part of course sure guns play a huge part in fact the percentage of that part it plays i don't know but i know it's huge yeah. But as to, but what I so often see, and, and I feel like this is what I'm responding to, what I so often see on social media are these trite, simple answers of people on all sides saying, this is why this happens and this is how we fix yeah. it. Because people want to do something. People want to do something about it. But here's the thing. 
This is a huge cultural problem. And there's no easy answer. And there's no easy answer. It is similar to the opioid epidemic in that way, I think. It's not as widespread, and I'm, I'm, I actually don't think that we are living in a, an incredibly violent time. I think that the evidence shows that violence globally is going down. I think that's... But awareness of violence is But going awareness up. of violence is going up. And so I kind of distrust, but the, it, there's no question that shootings in prosperous white communities are going up. Now, right. here's the thing is that shootings in non-prosperous white, white communities have always been a reality. Sure. And we only care since, because of Columbine, which was in a white prosperous community, mm. and that's what put it on our radar. Yeah. But... <clears throat> I guess what I'm responding to are these broad, simple answers from people who have no fucking clue what they're talking about. And I'm, I'm, what I want to tell people is this requires a level of patience and investigation. Do you think, that, it, do you think it requires the experience of going through it? No, I don't think so. You don't. I, if this, I, well, think, I would hope not. I mean, I would hope not. <laughs> yeah. Or else it's never going to get fixed. I think I mean that in terms of, being able to speak intelligently and truly understand every facet of why of why every part of the story is so important. Like, I feel like I want to talk to you about this because sure. I've never been in a school it, shooting. So it's like, what the hell do you, I know? You definitely have, uh, being in the position that I'm in, you definitely have a, a sense of how huge it is. And you definitely have a deeper sense of When the you trauma. say huge, what do you mean? Like a huge of an issue? Or? How huge of an issue and how far reaching the causes and consequences are. And, okay. you know, I, but, you know, in regards to... Do you have to experience something in order to understand it? You know, I think the great miracle of human beings and art is that we're empathetic creatures. Yeah, sympathy and empathy, mm, right? Exactly. And, and so, you know, you don't have to know exactly what I've been through. And you will never fully comprehend it and vice versa. I'll never fully comprehend what you have lived. But through the medium of art and communication, we can get it. We can yeah. we can connect, and that is an incredibly powerful or thing. Or at least we can understand what we don't know. Exactly. Right, and then we can sort of exactly. surrender to the, I don't know that part, I'm going to leave yeah. that to somebody who may know that better. Exactly. I think one of the interesting things about social media and about this, everyone has a super strong polarized opinion on every topic that comes up well is just that right is this everyone like any it's because we're presented with these questions every day of like are you this or this are you left or right because if you don't have a huge opinion about something you i feel like people feel like you run the risk of looking like you don't care yeah so so yeah, so, yeah the question <clears throat> like here or the sort of the implied question on social media is gun control or no gun control right when it's like it's a really it's like, why is it that? Well, why it's is a, that the it's a really complicated problem, clearly, and you've discussed this. Like it's big. It's a really it's complicated huge. thing. So the solution is really complicated. The solution is complicated. It's not a one sentence answer. And and you know, there's a reason why I don't talk about it publicly. Because, you know, I kind of have this general rule of thumb, which is if I can't talk about something intelligently, I'm not going to. That's kind of something. Yeah. That's a rule that I've made for myself. Is Man, why I, don't... I wish. I wish we both did that. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, we know nothing about this. And, Let's make an assumption. And I yeah. and I always try to preface by stating my ignorance. You know, because I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy who works at a grocery store and teaches yoga and has a podcast. Like that's. I'm. I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not the oracle that so many people try to be online. Right. And right. and so what I learned, the big thing that I learned being in a shooting was that the core nature of violence 
The mm-hmm. nature of human violence is something that is deeply horrific and deeply mysterious. And it is so blindingly horrific, it is almost impossible to look at directly. And I think mm-hmm. that's one reason why I love horror. I'm a huge horror fan. I think because I, it's a filter. You know, Stephen King talks about how we need horror stories because they are a filter through which we can look at the true horrors in life. Uh, the and nature of humanity. The nature of humanity. You know, I, and if there's one thing that I have walked away from being in a shooting is, is absolute humility. Mm. Uh, the, the understanding that, holy fuck, this is huge and I don't understand it. Now I'm, I'm very proud of those kids down in Florida who are rallying. I'm very proud of those kids. I was, I was kind of this lone serve. I mean, I, I wasn't the only person in that community. I felt very lonely and very isolated and I couldn't do that. I I haven't been able to do that. My path of healing has just to kind of heal and heal in silence. Explain why you explain why you felt alone. Was it because you were sort of the only survivor? (laughs) It's because I was the only one in the hallway, but also because I'm gay and I, I already felt set apart. I already felt very set up because I had, they had already threatened to kick me out of that base for having a boyfriend. So you actually have something in common with the shooter. Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. And I act, that's something that I felt. That was something that I had to work through was we were both outcasts in a mm. way. You know, there's this really interesting movie called Capote yeah. about Truman Capote, Truman Capote. The, the, the great writer. He was a terrible human being, not very much integrity as a human, but really great artist. And he became infatuated with the clutter family murders. And that's what, you know, the great true crime novel um, in Cold Blood is about. But he said, there's that, there's a line in that, there's a line in that movie where he says, I feel like the gunman who he became very close with, mm. the, the killer who he became very close with. He said, I feel like we were both raised in the same house. And then he left out the back door and I left through the front. And there is that weird kind of sense of solidarity with Matthew Murray of being an outsider well, I, th- I think that's kind of what I was trying to get at with my uh, with my original question. I see. Um, like uh, a, about, a little while ago, about the, like about being a, a religious outsider. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, kind of this whole coming of age experience that happens. You know, for for all of us, like it can be. You know, we have it to to varying degrees of trauma. You know, yes. like it's. I, I'm still working through it as an adult of like sifting through that that kind of stuff. I can also see how somebody who feels like their entire worldview, like their entire idea of religion and purpose and life and family is just becomes false to them. Yeah. Like exactly. that they've, and, and I have, I, it and, didn't drive me to, to be violent. It didn't like my response to that was not violence, but I, I could also relate to feeling unhinged. It sounds like you're trying to create a point of empathy, which I think is a very good thing. Sure. You know, I think that's good. I will never, we will, here's the thing with Matthew Murray is I heard so many stories about how he was demonic afterwards. I heard so many stories about how he was creepy, about he was, how dark he was, how violent he was. And and it seems like you would have gotten that from a lot of the rhetoric that I feel like gets used within yeah. organizations like YWAM. Yeah. And, and so I was, 
I can't, I don't trust any of it. And I want to be agnostic on that until it's absolutely proven to me. And I, and it hasn't been the person of who Matthew Murray is, what he experienced. He's kind of a a stranger to me. All I know is that he is a, that he was an outsider. Beyond that, I just don't trust any of the narratives that I was given about him because Mm. I don't know. And yes, he's a killer, but also he deserves a fair shake. I mean, if I'm yeah. going to yeah. know anything about him, I want it to be true. Do you think yeah. that's, that's something like in, you know, the circles we grew up in, the, it's sort of going back to like the the Facebook response of like, you have to pick, are you this or the other? You know, uh, when something doesn't go right, something goes wrong immediately, we all, you know, the, the, the Christian faith says, well, it's demonic. You know, right. There was something, you know, if there's anything nefarious, it means he was, demonic you know well that, oh, yeah. that, that's kind demonic of a staple is a catch-all phrase yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of a staple of of the protestantism that we were all brought up in it's like when someone does something evil instead of just saying you know what they made a bunch of decisions like they're responsible for this we want to attribute that to a higher power like we want to take sure. the burden of that yeah. off the individual and blame it on something because we don't understand the well, action, yeah. so we want to blame it on something that we don't fully understand yeah, either. But, but I think that what we were getting at is it's a really complicated conversation, so there isn't a complicated solution. So there probably isn't a complicated descri- – there isn't a non-complicated description of Matthew Murray. Exactly. Sure, right? So, yeah. like, mental and, health is a, is a real is, thing, you right, know? Right, Like, and, and so often as Christians – and I've seen this happen with depression and anxiety in the Christian faith. It's like – especially in like a fundamentalist upbringing, it's like, well, people look at depression as, which is an actual medical condition that you can, it's in the same category as diabetes and broken leg, like physical problem with your brain. Right. Mm. And so many Christians attribute it to like demonic oppression, spiritual warfare. Yeah, exactly. Well, so along those lines, I don't, at all mean to disrespect my father at all. I love the man. But when I, when I, we have um, a surprise for you, (laughs) (laughs) but behind door number one, when I was, when I was in middle school, that was when I first started to feel depressed. And I remember telling my dad this, like, you know, things are just feeling really dark. Things are feeling really, is is that, is that really awful and dark and what my dad described it to him? Yeah. And my, I didn't know how to describe it. You didn't have a vocabulary. For I didn't what have you're a vocabulary feeling. for what I was feeling. But, but that's when at first that was when I first started to experience depression. And my dad, in response, and I don't mean to speak ill of him in any way, but he he his response was, "Well, maybe we should get you into deliverance ministry. Deliverance ministry being to have demons cast out of me." Saying, "Well, maybe this is demonic." Maybe what you're feeling is demonic oppression. And that was my first, like the first time that I admitted to being depressed. The first time I was trying to articulate it, that was the you're response. Be, you're being told you're possessed. I was being told, maybe not that I'm I'm possessed, but that there are demons oppressing. surrounding me, oppressing me. Right. So... Man, that, that that has to be so difficult because you're you're just a teenager, right? I'm, I was 13 years old or oh 12 my gosh. years old. Like you, you are so impressionable, and you so you don't understand. And to to your dad's credit, he probably didn't understand this. He didn't either. understand it either. And and so you know, and actually, my dad is one of the more you know we have many disagreements, but he's one of the more nuanced thinkers <laughs> in the conservative Christian church, and and I don't think he realized what he was doing. And it, it actually wasn't until a few weeks ago when I was writing in my journal and 
And I realized that, like, this is, that is what he told me. Yeah. That was my, because I was writing about my depression that I had two weeks ago and I texted you thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this interview or not. And I, I was kind of, I was just journaling about depression in general, and that's what came up, that this is demonic. So, you know, kind of connecting it back to the to shootings, there's always this difficulty in how we can... I'm not going to pursue that thought because it isn't formed yet, so... Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's... I think well, it's we'll, interesting we, that you... We can pursue it because we do that all the time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, when you brought that up and, and you said that you had that experience uh, with your dad and he was like... You, you, let's try out deliverance ministry and just see, you know, <laughs> maybe, just in case there are demons. Who knows? In, it's like, um, no, not therapy, not, yeah. not, not just, you know, like, I can't remember who I was having this conversation with. If it was, if it was you, Davey, like a couple weeks ago, but I was like recalling this weird experience that I had when I was in high school and I went through like a, a really, really awful time. I was like not popular in high school. I was like into music. I had, I didn't have an awesome home life. Like didn't get along with my parents very well. Didn't really know how I fit into my family, whatever. Depressed and moody and weird. And just like, I was a weird teenager. And I remember there was this one family that took a particular interest in me and invited me to come to their church service. their like new year's church service. And this was this night would end up becoming one of the more formative spiritual experiences that I had as a kid or as a high schooler. And I think it might be where a lot of my cynicism is rooted Mm. because I I was having such a hard time melding all these things together, figuring out how to live at home, figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. I was depressed. And I feel like this family saw this in me Mm. and to their credit, tried to reach out and give me the best lifeline that they could or that they felt like they could offer. But they were also the kind of people to sort of, they, they belong to a specific sect of Protestantism that over-spiritualizes things, I feel like, much to the chagrin of teenagers. Which sect? <laughs> who find themselves uh, <clears throat> caught up in it. It was like whatever Redemption World Outreach was um, <clears throat> in Greenville, South Carolina at the time. Do you remember, it was like one of the, it's like, it like an off, yeah. offshoot of that. They had a church like in, in the downtown area. I remember going to- Very large this, evangelical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like mm. super evangelical. Into healing. <clears throat> you know or what charismatic, mean? I think, is would be how it, how it would be described to me later. Yeah. Um, I find myself at this thing and they're like, it's a new year. Like, we're going to have everybody just like come down here to the front. Let's just, let's just cast off our burdens. And, and we're, if you, if you need deliverance from something- you, like it was that easy. Like if you struggle with an addiction or with a failure yeah. or something, like you can literally just leave it on the altar and everything will be fine. And we're not going to bring it into the new year with us. And it was a lot of this sort of like magical power of like nothing will make it through this this this, this magical barrier sure, that we'll and, build it, yeah. this night and you won't have these problems anymore hmm. if if you can fully give it over. And to right. be, to be and fair, nobody like, can. No. But to be fair, like <clears throat> some non- Christian like motivational speakers will will use the same sort of thing. And it's not, I think there is something to that. It's like this sort of ceremony of like, Hey, new year, let's do it. Here's my resolution. Well, you blah, have to blah, hear blah. the rest of the story to know, I know whether that, or not it's fair. I, what I wanted to, <laughs> yeah. What I wanted to get at is this isn't the crazy part. No, this is not, this is not crazy. This no, is, this this is pretty crazy. typical of a lot Proceed. of churches. And yeah. there's, there's, it's helpful 
to to symbolically let things go yeah, through absolutely. action. The difference is, is it a process or not? Where if it's done healthily, it's understood that this is a process. In your setting, it wasn't understood to be a process. It is a, well, one, a one moment. Well, yeah, there was. So <clears throat> let's the, let him the way this, Okay, the way we'll this, let you finish. <laughs> I love how you guys have already made We've already these assumptions figured out about end of show. what this is. <laughs> um, yeah, roll credits. So I, I end up like going to this thing. Um, and of course, like at the time, I'm really impressionable. I feel super convicted. Like, oh my gosh, well, yeah, I, I probably like, I've got things in my life that I need to give up. I've got all these different things that I'm struggling with as a teenager. Like I'm probably looking at porn. I'm probably like yelling at my parents. I'm probably a really terrible like brother. I don't know what I want to do with my life. And everybody's telling me that I need to be able to figure out you know what i'm gonna do with my life and i don't know what i think about god and i constantly feel like i'm under spiritual attack because i'm such a nervous kid anyway like i'm i'm i have anxiety i'm constantly dealing with it i I have trouble with authority figures like i have so much shit going on and i'm thinking to myself like it's just because i'm not the christian i need to be it's just because i haven't committed enough of myself to Christ. It's clearly my fault. Like all these things that are happening in my life, the reason my life is not working out and the reason I feel miserable and I feel this black sinking hole of weight in my chest and in my heart all the time is because I am spiritually deficient. There must be something wrong with me on a spiritual level. And these people were at the time to me providing a spiritual answer. Like, and it wasn't like I hadn't tried this shit a hundred times before. But for whatever reason, this night, I was like, you know, what do I have to lose? I'll go with it. So I go down to the front to have them pray for me. They start laying their hands on me, which makes me uncomfortable anyway. I don't like people who I don't know touching me anyway. And so they start praying and then they start praying in tongues. And none of this makes any sense to me why they're doing. I had seen people do this before. I'd seen people practice this. and, And apparently it's like I was always told, you know, when you have a gift, like you know what they're saying. And I was like, well. This is this is how far like how far away from Christ I am. I can't, I can't even understand, understand tongues. Yeah. Like what the fuck? So like they're praying <laughs> over me in tongues, and I can't understand it. So I think I'm I'm. Yeah. This is a new area in which I'm spiritually deficient because they're clearly praying for me, and I don't know what they're saying. The prayers get violent. They get more and more intense. More and more people are like putting their hands on me, and at this point, I'm becoming really uncomfortable, anxious. I'm becoming more and more anxious. And more and more. And so like for me, when I get anxious, I just, I'll clam up and just quit. Be like, I'll just kind of go dead and like quit. Yeah. I throw inter- Interacting with everybody. <laughs> like I, I will just, I will play possum until you leave me alone. And then I'll go tweet about you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but like, that was just my, I knew that there was no way out of this. And the situation that they had painted for me in that scenario is the more you fight us, the more you try to get away from us. And the more that you kind of let us know that you are physically uncomfortable, the harder we're going to keep you the here. more we feel like you must have something inside of you that's trying to come out. This is not you. This is, we're fighting against the demons inside of you right now. Yeah. So they got more and more aggressive and they're telling me this as this is happening. They're like, oh gosh. And I remember this lady specifically who had her hands on me at this church and praying over me and she was the loudest one of all of them and she was supposedly speaking in tongues she stops and just looks dead at me like with these cold eyes and she's like there's something in you there's something in you and it has got to come out tonight and so she goes and hollers for somebody 
like it's one of the pastors or something like who's praying over another group of people. And this is cr- this shit's crazy. Fuck like this I know. shit. I can, Fuck yeah. this I know. shit. So she goes saying this to a teenager. Yes. Yes. Who I'm, is inclined to believe you. I'm 15, 16 at the time it's, that this it's is happening. It's child abuse. Yeah. yeah. It is so, child abuse. It is absolutely so child she abuse. She yells for some pastor to come over there. She's like, we, we've got a, we've got a hard one over here. We're going to, we're going to need some, some spiritual authority. So they go and get out like all of these different like types of oil and holy water. And they start like, like doing all this stuff, like spraying this stuff on me and trying to anoint me and, with and oil. You, you cannot leave at and this I point. Can't, like I'm actually physically trying to get up and leave the situation because I need to be left alone. I need for just everything to stop and for me mm. to leave. And they're not letting me get up because they're supposedly casting out oh my, God. my demons. It was at this point when I was like, whatever this is, I don't even have the vocabulary for it. And I, I don't know what to exactly call it because everybody here is a different person and something different. I feel like it might be happening for everybody here, but fuck this. Yeah. I will not be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I look back on that and I see it as buffoonery. As a, I just it see it as ridiculous. As like, traumatizing buffoonery. Yeah, like I needed a counselor. Exactly. I just needed a, a like someone a to decently to minded counselor <clears throat> to listen to what I was going through and help me make sense and put a word to what I was feeling and give me ways of like of dealing with it and like coming out of it. And instead, what I got was over spiritualization, uh, over spiritualized rhetoric, magical thinking, and abuse, like Harry Potter shit to I try mean, to fix my life. That's problem. that's it's, the the word you keep coming back to. That's absolutely what that well, is. Well, here's here's the other thing. I so. The Christian community that I was raised in is big on inner healing, spiritual healing, prayer ministry, all of that stuff. And I'm kind of, you know, in a way, there are ways in which I think it can be helpful because it's kind of folk psychotherapy. Yeah. And in that way, in the right circumstances, it's helpful for people. And, you know, to kind of externalize these things as demons, to externalize, but... On the other hand, it's homeopathy for psychology. Homeopathy meaning sure. fake medicine right. for placebos. Placebos for the mind. When and when you have a kid who is troubled, like I was, I was a very troubled kid. I was I did not have a good home life. I did not have like I was deeply suicidal, deeply depressed. Like yeah. it was a mess. I was a total mess in high school. And the response was prayer. And looking back, I'm just like, I didn't need prayer. I needed help. And it right. wasn't until the it, it wasn't until things had gotten so bad. It wasn't until I had dropped out of high school because I'd cut myself super deep. And I was in high school and I had a psychotic break in a bathroom at high school and I dropped out and I was suicidal. It wasn't until it got to that point that finally I got a therapist. And it's like that should have happened back when I was 12 and I told my father that I was feeling depressed. Mm. But instead, I was given psychological homeopathy. There's a clear mental health arc to the to all these conversations. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. It seems to be a recurring thread. And yeah. Yeah, I think like I, I'm I'm still I'm a little sick. I'm a, I've drank a lot of NyQuil. I'm a little delusional. So forgive me for whatever I say that doesn't make sense today. Right. But I'm just th- I'm thinking about the Christian approach to life 
and I guess the religious approach to life and, and being able to sort of, when things aren't going right or things aren't going your way, you, you sort of have these easy answers to things. When clearly, and I think what we've discussed here is like something as big as school shootings. It's huge. It's way yeah. bigger than these easy There's answers. There's no way one person gets right? all of it. Yeah. And yeah, praying is important. Like even from a just a secular psychological perspective is meditation, you know, like it's an, an important, exactly. yeah. it's it's important thing. It's helpful. It's very good. However, like prayer without action is just like... You mean faith without works? Well, it's just like, it's wishful thinking. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's just wishful thinking. So it's like, well, yeah, I'm going to pray. Like if if my son comes to me and has, we're 20 years down the road and he's saying something like you were saying to your dad, what I hope I'm able to do, I'm not saying I'm better than your dad. I'm saying what I hope I'm able to do sure. is to to say, okay, we're going to pray about it. And we're going to do something about it. You know? Yeah. Like maybe I'm just the answer to that prayer and I'm going to take you to a, a psychologist, you know, like we're going to, we're going to go through that. Like I'm going to also be the tool, not just the, the request to the help desk. I feel like that's kind of what Stephen was hitting on and saying, you know, for a lot of people, they want to give an answer or they want to somehow like frame it in a way that's digestible. And so they end up with prayer as a placebo. It's like, yes. well, well, what can we do? Well, we can pray. Have and, that's, and that's us being active. That's us doing uh, something because somehow that will make a difference. I also think it speaks to the deep helplessness that people sure, feel. Sure, absolutely. You know, we, we all feel, you know, we, we are in a world right now overrun by systems that we feel like we have no control over, be they yeah. governmental or financial or digital. We're living in these worlds that, that are hacking our habits and our neural pathways and our lifestyle in a way that we feel completely helpless against. And yeah. it, and there's kind of, and so a prayer is kind of like a literal Hail Mary. It's like that last, well, what else the fuck am I supposed to do? <laughs> right. You know? And so in yeah. a way I get it. I don't think that that's the approach that a lot of people are having, but in a way I get it y- yeah, if that's the case. So I do understand that, but I think that what has occurred and what what exists now and we can see it on social media is this the instant like here's my strong feeling about x y or z is that that is not a last ditch effort that is not a first ditch effort and then accompanied with action that is the only effort so this is actually something that i've made a discipline of (laughs) that's a good point on so i'm you know i'm pretty active on social media i I've made a rule that I just give myself permission to not show my grief or outrage. Up top. You know, like, yes, Mm. when someone gets killed, I feel grief. And I feel like I actually have a pretty good perspective of what that grief is like because I was in a shooting. That doesn't mean I have a perfect perspective. That doesn't mean I especially understand that does that doesn't mean I can connect in every way, but I kind of have a baseline for understanding what human violence is yeah. like. But yes, I experience grief. Yes, I feel angry. Yes, I feel outrage. That's what my journal is for. That's what my friends are for. It's not for everybody. That is not for it's not everybody. For the world. There's this sense of, and, and you know, kind of my baseline. I, I'm just if I if my goal is to create a better world, which it is, you know, that's what I want my legacy to be. I want my legacy to be to create a better world. Maybe tiny in a tiny way. You know, I'm one person, but my goal is to do something to make yeah. this world a better place before I die. And if that's my goal, 
then I have to be more strategic about it. And I can't, and, and I have to Absolutely. be, yeah. I have to be more strategic about it and more deliberate about it. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of secrecy. I'm a big fan of privacy. I'm a big fan of keeping things to myself. We're up topping again. Yeah, we are. <laughs> you know, I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of privacy and just letting things stew, you know? It, and so when a shooting happens, I don't comment on it. When a, when a, um, when Billy Graham died, actually his motorcade went right by my fucking house. <laughs> oh um, gosh, it did. It did. I didn't even I look forgot, out, didn't even look out that. the window. <laughs> Um, well, you weren't going to see much and he's not going to move or anything. No, I wish that would be awesome. <laughs> oh my God. A reanimated like, Billy Graham. The one last thing Billy Graham does is like wink at Steven on his way to his grave. And then I spend the rest of my life being a crazy conspiracy theorist trying yeah. to convince. <laughs> that's your mark on society. I'm sorry yeah, for that's... everyone listening to the podcast who's like, you guys fucking took it too far. Yeah. It's, it, this is how we come to terms with death is making a joke about it. So let us joke. We're not okay. proud. Of we're, we're not either. proud of it. No, Just so let us I, do it. Yes, of course I have opinions about Billy Graham's legacy. Of course I do. Who the fuck cares? It, there's this point at which I'm just like... Well, I do. And I have a podcast. Do you want to talk about it? No. <laughs> well, okay. I can no, talk no, about no, it no. if you well, want well, me to. Similarly, when Hugh Hefner died, I saw a lot of people posting... Art <laughs> It Hugh is similar. Hefner and it's Billy similar. Graham. I love how so that they're, was your they're in the waiting room in heaven yeah. right now. They're but, but, in the waiting but, room of the afterlife. When, when Hugh Hefner died, I all of a sudden you all of a sudden saw these articles from largely liberals or or well, no, not liberals. I'm sorry. Well, I don't know who it was, but a lot of these articles like there you go. I don't know. De, 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 demeaning him, like saying, well, he was actually a terrible person. Why are we upset that he died? It's just this pendulum swing of like, people were like, it made news that Hugh Hefner died. And now there's this pendulum swing on the other side that is like, well, we shouldn't care that he died anyway. Blah, 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 blah. Like he was a human. Well, why do you have to say anything? Like, why do we have to talk about it? Why can't? So, okay. So there's another side of this that I feel like if I miss people are going to get the wrong idea of what I'm about. The other side of it is I have zero interest in controlling what other people do. And so if other people grieve by taking it to social media, that's on them. That's fine. I may or may not think that it's the best thing in a given situation, but it, I'm here to, in the words of St. Paul, work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I get you. I understand you that. Know, and what, so what, I was, not, what I was getting at there, isn't that like, I'm upset. Like I have some, uh, something against the way they handle their grief. This wasn't handling grief. This is just taking this, this, what, what, this yeah. binary stance yes. on something. Right. Why so, is it so important that you have a stance? And, and that why, we all know why are you so, it? why do you so vehemently have that stance? Exactly. This was a human being, whether he did whatever the fuck he did, who cares? He was a human being. Yeah. He died. You should, we should at least just let the family grieve. Instead yeah. of run a man through the mud. Well, also, okay, so I think I, I think there are a lot of problems with social media and it's I think it's a net I, I think it's a net negative in general. Okay. That's my opinion. And and you mean that psychologically in, in terms of what it does as culturally? It, as or? it exists right now. That doesn't mean the concept of social media, I think it has enormous potential and great 
potential goodness, but I think as it is configured right now, it is a net negative. Uh, but I am not interested in judging how other people are trying to survive. What I'm concerned is the way I feel guilted on social media for expressing outrage or for for not expressing right, outrage okay. or not expressing grief. Mm. I I often feel like people are socially pressured inadvertently to express outrage and grief. And I'm like, you know, if you're the kind of person who grieves that way, that's fine. I'm not. I'm the kind of person who takes it up the mountain in solitude and right. I chew on it. Sometimes for years. I think there's I'm, a guy in the Bible that did that too. Yeah, yeah, me too. When he was uh, in stressful <laughs> situations. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and yeah, so... Uh, uh, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, Todd. Book of St. Todd. Todd from the Bible. <laughs> Fred. Um, Book of St. Fred. I, I, I give myself the permission to to be private. And so this is really the first time that I have spoken really publicly about the shooting that I was in. Honestly, I mean, this is kind of, I wrote, it's my fault too. It, Can you put so it sorry. exclusive on the yeah. top? <laughs> <laughs> on that's the, what, that's what the E is for. Yeah. It's not for explicit. It's a, it's for exclusive. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I did write one article about it, but I, I think in an age where we are just so prone to letting it all hang out there. There's something this. There's something incredibly sacred, or to define our lives yeah. by the spectacular. I think there's something incredibly sacred about about standing up for personal privacy. Right. I don't mean privacy just in the digital sense with your content, but I mean privacy in terms of your life and having opinions and feelings that you are allowed to percolate. And honestly, I think that is how you find wisdom. It takes a long time. Yes. It takes a long time to develop a craft. It takes a long time to develop expertise. It takes a long time to develop wisdom. And in a high-speed internet culture, we are standing against that. Now, that isn't to say that the kids down in Florida are doing the wrong thing. They're absolutely doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's no simple answer, right? There's, yeah. I mean, and so, you know, I'm always, I'm always so careful about what I say because I know that there's always going to be someone who comes at me saying, but what about the, and I'm like, that's also true. That's absolutely true. Um, the, there is one thing though, that I wrote and kind of to bring it back around to the shooting. Yeah. One thing that does concern me about the current shooting. So basically moral of the story, my experience in the shooting has given me three things. I think it, it's given me some humility in, in terms of the answers. I don't know what the answer is. Right. I do think a significant part of that answer is more gun control. Sure. And, but I don't know the degree to which that, I don't know the percentage of the solution that that is, but I think it is a sizable percentage. Yeah. But this is also a huge problem. I don't know why it's happening. And for me to just sit here and say, this is blurry, blurry, you know, this is why it's happening. Yeah. Here's this. Yeah. I would be lying. I don't know. Sure. The other thing that it has given me or the other thing that it has taught me, and this is what truly genuinely concerns me. And if there's one thing that, you know, if people want to know what they can do, here's what they can do is pay attention to the story three years later. Mm. Because the thing is, shootings are community catastrophes. And the real damage that's done in a shooting is the long-term harm. Right. Long tail. Yeah, the, the long tail, the, the long-term harm that it does to families mm -hmm. and to individuals. And with the 24 news hour cycle, 24 hour news cycle, it's forgotten. It, we forget it. We forget it. And our, 
our attention span is so slow. And, and what I want to tell people is no, 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 no. The harm is just beginning. The horror is just beginning. Right. The real horror of violence or of, of this kind of violence in a lot of cases in, is not just the incident. It's the psychological and social aftermath. That is the rest of the story. And we're yeah. just missing it. We're completely forgetting it. And so what I want to tell people is keep looking and don't look away. Yeah. Because <clears throat> the, the grief and the heartache and the trauma and the disaster that people experience is is so overwhelming and that here's the here's the even more heartbreaking thing we are so wired to do this we are so programmed to do this yeah that even i do it mm. and i was in a shooting yeah. and even i having had the experience and having to have the years of recovery even i do this where i hear about a shooting and then i forget you forget it. so quickly and i forget so quickly okay this is, and that is a social monstrosity mm. that we're all in. Do you think that's because, well, I don't know if it's, that's because, do you think that has something to do with the fact that we're aware of so much now? We're aware of so much. I also think it's that we don't culturally have a great awareness of trauma. We don't have a, we don't culturally have a great awareness of what PTSD does to people. We don't understand how it actually physiologically changes the brain. We don't understand how Deeply, it cripples people. I think, you know, in the aftermath of the Iraq war, we're and, and veterans coming back in mm -hmm. Afghanistan and so on. Yeah. We're, we're starting to kind of see it because veterans are are being hit really hard with drug addiction well, and, and suicide. Well, your partner sees this and, like Yeah, and my, my partner works at the VA in yeah. suicide prevention. So, and so I think we're kind of waking up to it, but but we do just have a cultural problem of understanding that trauma is real and you can't just get over it. That it is actually as physiological as a broken leg. Yeah. Mm. And that it is deeply debilitating. Yeah. You know, and and so I think it's that we don't have the the mental bandwidth, kind of as you said, there's so much and we don't have the mental bandwidth, but yeah. also it, that I think it's coupled with, we don't want to look at it and we don't want to think about it and we don't really understand it. I'm, I'm actually, I'm that guy for, for better or for worse. When I have people in my life who I know are going through something and I have the ability, I want to walk through that with them in the same way that I've had very specific people, you know, like the world doesn't come to me when I'm having a problem and like try to lift me up because I don't let the world know about it. Yeah, I don't like, either. I have, I have Davey, like I have a few other friends that I'm really close with. We share our burdens together. Yeah. I don't feel comfortable doing that on a larger scale. And to that end, I also feel really helpless when I hear about school shootings or mass murders or like things that I, that have absolutely nothing to do with my day-to-day -day life. They just so happen to happen in the country that I live in and I'm exposed to that information all the time. And I feel like i for a minute, I try to imagine what it's like to be those people. And then within 24 hours, I'm not surrounded by the story anymore. Exactly. And I would much rather not think about it. Yeah. Like I would, I, and I don't know, I don't know necessarily if that's like the most socially responsible thing. All I know is that like, I don't know any of the victims personally. Yeah. So I don't really have like, have a way of it's reaching a, out individually. It's a deeply human thing. Yeah. That what you're doing. And I think that the first place is kind of at the grassroots to, to definitely have those deep kinship bonds with friends. Well, Cause it's like, what does it really and, and to mean to uphold and live in community to have like 40,000 people on Twitter being like, you know, 
we have to we have to change gun gun laws. We have to do this. Yeah. We have to do that. And being part of that huge megaphone of people with opinions that weren't involved. Yes. When you have a lot of people who are going through actual trauma and you're doing nothing and but to just your, perpetu- in your actual yeah. radius and right. you're like you're, yeah. you're just exactly. you're perpetuating the so I. I think violence I'm, in the zeitgeist. I, I think know. I look at it from a different angle. You know, when I say don't forget, I think what I mean is just that doesn't mean even reach out to the survivors. Yeah. I think that means being mindful. Sure. And being present to the complex story as it is unfolding, mm-hmm. if possible. Because then I think that kind of mindfulness does mean that we develop greater wisdom and insight that we can then take into our connections. I would call that know? being intentionally mindful of what I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just admitting to myself, I don't know. Face to face said, all I know is that I don't know nothing. You. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, sorry, John. John, if you're listening to this, John right. got it. No one okay, else did. Okay, right. move on. Okay. Right. Edit that out. Um, so, but you did bring up something, which is I I think we're in an epidemic of of superficial answers mm. without actually doing. We're we're in a you know, social media makes it very easy to to make it look like we're putting a Band-Aid on something. Yeah. When we aren't actually doing the personal work and that work always starts with ourselves. Right. That work always starts with me. Mm. It doesn't start with some congressman. It doesn't start with what, it starts first and foremost with me. Yeah. And do, am I the person that I want to be? Am I the person who I think is just and who has integrity? Yeah. And, and, and from that, you know, I know that there are people who will disagree with me, but this is my personal philosophy is that I first First and foremost must be a person of integrity and and then everything flows from there. I feel this way about a, about a lot of things in my community, the LGBT community. Yeah. Where oh, okay, actually a, a, I think a better example, the the Me Too movement. Yeah. It's good that people like Harvey Weinstein are getting exposed. That's sure. good. That's great. What about the board of directors who knew? What about the system that allows what about someone the like him to keep it under wraps that for so long? What about the enablers? What about all of the people in this system who who knew and did nothing? Mm. And then this creates, that just means that it's a superficial change. Sure. Someone yeah. has to take, someone has to be the... You just have a bunch of sacrificial lambs. You don't have an like, yeah, actual Yeah. Now, now, granted, that guy is not necessarily... It was hard I, to I consider him. I would call him a lamb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, sacrificial but, but asshole. It, but it's like, yeah, it's like you, and he deserves whatever happens to him, but it's like... Why well, should I shouldn't say that? I don't know what he deserves, but but it's like it can't stop there. Exactly, and, and you know, so this but is, that's just the that's what we throw out, and it's like okay, we can move on. Now. And now we're done. Yeah. And, and I'm like, no, justice is a long suffering, aggressive thing mm. that has to. We cannot forget it, and it has to keep going. And we and and it's a long arc, and. So I feel this way about a lot of things. Yeah. I feel this way about LGBT representation in films. I'm like, great. I feel great that there are more gay people in films. That's awesome. You know, I wish there oh, well, were- don't, don't, don't talk too much about gay stuff. I want to do- <laughs> do another podcast about gay stuff okay okay so i'll just i'll just say yeah. this don't gay it up I, yeah. I, stop gaying it up i will really gay it up in the next one um so i will say you know like as a teenager as a kid i wish that there were more gay characters yeah. but i'm like 
you know, I can still get fired from my job legally for being gay in the state of North Carolina. My landlord could still technically evict me legally mm. just on the basis of being gay. There are ways in which I feel like so this, this social representation or a lot of the stuff that goes on on Twitter yeah. are a lot of it is good and necessary, but it doesn't it isn't enough. Yeah. And it has to go deeper into the the system it has to go deeper into the body and i sometimes feel like it it's we do this because we're helpless you know we mm. we have these representations because these yeah. other problems are just so deep and i mean representation is just one one you know one example of many of superficial issues yeah. or super superficial solutions yeah. and this kind of brings it back to my point of don't look away from the suffer from the long-term suffering of these people because it's only when we look at the long-term suffering completely helpless yeah. that feeling of helplessness yeah. that you feel when you have a shooting if you hang out there for a long time that's where the answers come from mm. and that's why that feeling of helplessness is so important and yeah. and instead of running away from it we have to dive into it mm. and explore it because when we when we dive into those feelings of helplessness that is when we as a community and as a society will start to find answers but if we're too busy fucking tweeting about it yeah. or if we're too busy you know on instagram or whatever the fuck we yeah. do we are not or if we're just distracted by the next god-awful thing that trump tweets right then and the news cycle has moved on we never have a shared experience we with never have we don't have the attention span to go deep into that discomfort right. to go deep into those problems yeah and into that i don't know this is overwhelming this is awful what do i do yeah and not knowing what to do that sense of helplessness is where things change yeah and as long as we avoid it things will go on as usual I love that. Steven, thank you so much for opening up with us about... Uh, it's about, my pleasure. About everything in Colorado and the shooting that you were in. Actually, I didn't know that this was... I, I knew that you and I had never like sat down and yeah, had yeah. like a full-on, hey, take me through what happened sort of a conversation because I, I always think that there are people that wouldn't want to hear that on our respective podcasts. And sure. I, I didn't know if you had ever covered it before, but I feel very honored that you took the time to kind of talk talk through that i think you've given i'm us, like, very glad you asked yeah, yeah thank you so think much about. and there's so much stuff we we planned on getting to that we didn't so maybe we should do a part two one day uh yeah like immediately hit space bar <laughs> twice <laughs> let's do it for everybody listening to the show thank you so much for sticking with us uh through this episode there this has been one of my favorite conversations that i've had this month and if you want to find out more about Steven, he's worth finding out about. He will not be the guy who just like throws up a bunch of random opinions on social media because he is very thoughtful and articulate. Um, he's one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite podcasters, and you should definitely check out what he does. He has a podcast called Sacred Tension that he mentioned at the top of the hour. Uh, we will leave a link to that in the show notes. Check it out, particularly if you're interested in how the LGBT uh, Q community thinks or feels how it, I think. It, yeah. It's an exploration <laughs> of a lot of that. And again, I feel like if there's a story arc for all of our podcasts, it's like, we don't know. That's exactly. why we talk about it on podcasts. <laughs> exactly. This is just sure. one side of a conversation. So we can just get a little bit closer to, to maybe what's happening or just to each other. So thanks for tuning in. We love y'all. I'm going to see you next week. Bye. Bye. Rock Candy Recordings and Rock Candy Media.